0: Every Sunday, we've been going through 1 Corinthians the past couple of months, actually maybe years, I would say now. <laughs> uh, but whenever there is a fifth Sunday in the month, in the month, and this happens maybe four or five times throughout the year, we try to take a break from what we're preaching through, and we take some answers and questions. A lot of the times when we're preaching through a specific passage or a specific book, uh, a lot of questions arise, and that could be anything from 1 Corinthians to anything that's actually going on in the world today. And so we have a number of great questions. Uh, And if you are new here, if you come next Sunday or if you've come the Sunday before, we'll go back into 1 Corinthians and we want to continue to welcome you and continue to have you join us. If you're looking um, for prior sermons to listen to, you can also do so uh, through our website. But let's get started because we have a number of questions and these all have been pre-submitted so that Pastor Roger uh, can prepare a proper answer The first one is, in 1 Samuel, on at least two occasions, God sends, quote, an evil spirit out of the NASB or a harmful spirit out of the ESV to King Saul. And as a reference, it's 1 Samuel 16, 14 and 1 Samuel 18, 10. One time of which Saul tries to kill David. Can you explain what these evil spirits are, and could someone try to use these passages to say that God is the author of evil and makes people sin? Yeah, so...
1: We see this uh, a few times in the Scriptures. I do want to clarify that in the Old Testament, believers were not indwelt by the Holy Spirit like they are today. As you know, He came at Pentecost. Uh, Jesus said, I have to leave so the Helper can come. And so it was not normative for all those who were of the faith to be indwelt by the Holy Spirit. So... The reason I want to clarify that is because people are often confused when David, for example, in the Psalms says, take not thy spirit from me, or in this passage where the spirit uh, left uh, King Saul, you have to understand that it was a special anointing, a special indwelling because they were the leader of God's people as king. So that does not mean that they were saved and then lost their salvation. Okay? That it's, a, it's a separate uh, time. It's a different covenant uh, the Holy Spirit has not come in the sense of indwelling all believers. And so when the Holy Spirit is uh, removed or he leaves Saul, it is because, as you guys are familiar with, Saul disobeyed and God said, you are no longer going to be the king. David's going to replace you. And so we see this uh, this key change in his life and where it's a sign that this guy is no longer uh, worthy to be king and that, that kingship has been removed from him. Now, in terms of the, the evil spirit, uh, one of the first things we need to remember is that God is sovereign over all things. He is sovereign over hell. He is sovereign over evil spirits. Uh, we see from Job that Satan needs his permission uh, to do anything. Uh, Jesus even tells Peter, right, Satan wanted to sift you, right, and, and he says, I did not let that happen, and so we see that God is sovereign over the evil spirits, so even his enemies, even the forces that work against him and his, uh, his desires and, and his people, God is sovereign over that. And so what we see in that incident is God allowing the evil spirit to torment Saul. And you can imagine, now we don't have indication of this, but you can imagine that as God's anointed king over his chosen people uh, that the evil spirits were dying to do this. They, they wanted to attack him. Um, you even see this just by way of example, you see this in David's life. In 2 Samuel 24, you have that infamous census that he takes, that he wasn't supposed to take. It was sin in David's life because he wanted to see how many uh, warriors he had in the nation of Israel, which meant he was relying on numbers and human strength rather than uh, God and his faithfulness. And so in 2 Samuel 24, it says that God was angry with this. In the same account or the account of the same incident, okay, which we have in First Chronicles 21, it also talks about uh, David disobeying and not trusting in the Lord. And, but rather than saying God was angry, it says something to effect that Satan came against him. So God was angry and Satan came against him. And so again, we see that in God's anger because of David's sin, he allowed Satan to come against David. We saw this earlier in, in 1 Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Remember, there was that gross scenario that uh, Paul is addressing. Uh, There was someone within the church that was committing incest, and he says, deliver this man over to Satan. And so it's the same idea of uh, God allowing this to happen. Uh, God uh, is sovereign over this, and he allows uh, these evil spirits and even Satan to come and uh, discipline or punish uh, those who are disobeying. It's interesting in 1 Corinthians 5, though, if you remember, that he goes, he says, deliver this man over and hopefully he will save his soul, right? So there's even an an idea that's not delivering him over and sending him to hell. The evil spirits have no control over that. They're not sovereign over who goes to hell or not. And so it was even some sort of physical or spiritual distress that would hopefully cause this person to repent and then uh, turn back to the Lord. I think uh, this person also asked, "Could this verse be used to say that God is evil or promotes evil?" Um, it could, but they would be wrong, right? People people use verses of the Bible out of context and incorrectly all the time uh, to prove things that simply aren't true, um, right? It's 1 John one five uh, that says that. There is no darkness in God at all. And so to say, to use any verse to say that God is evil or the author of evil simply contradicts the rest of Scripture, and you can't do
0: that. Such as species changing over time to adapt to their... environment. question is... Uh,
1: Based on uh, the uh, biblical teaching of a six days of creation, which means, uh, as believers, we do not believe in the theory of evolution. That you know, you guys remember that. So, if you think back to uh, when do we learn that in in grade school, in high school? um, The question is: the answer to this question, like some, do some aspects of evolution are they true biblically? Do we believe in them? Um, such as uh, adapting over time, right? The answer is yes and no. The answer is yes, they are true, and we believe in them, but no, because it's not evolution. So they are taught probably in the same week <laughs> in high school science, but what this person is referring to is, if you remember that term natural selection, which basically people or, or species adapt uh, to their environment, and the ones that adapt the best survive. Uh, we see that. Uh, we see that even uh, among humans, uh, you know, in in certain countries, war-torn countries, or you know, poverty-stricken things like that. Um, so, yeah, we believe in that. We've seen it. It's scientifically true. But we need to be careful that we don't mix things because, and that's not me as a pastor trying to defend some things that we see in our lifetime and some things we think are not true. No scientist would tell you that natural selection, which is described in this question, and evolution are the same thing. Now, scientists do, who do believe in the theory of evolution do believe that natural selection is kind of what uh, led to evolution or is kind of the foundation of evolution, but they're still Two distinct, different things, and so um, if it's for your own sake, I think that answer uh, suffices. If you are trying to engage uh, with someone who has a scientific background, uh, make sure we need we know uh, what we're talking about because they're all they're not all lumped together. They're not all the same thing, although
0: related at least in our in our
1: science textbooks.
0: All right, and number three, Matthew 6, 1 states that we should beware of practicing your righteousness before men, that you'll be noticed by them. And so the question is, does this include, for example, posting videos online of street preaching or protesting abortion clinics? Does motive matter at this point, since you're making your righteousness public? Um, I think it's good to look at this
1: verse. Um, If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, because when we see... The verse in context, it really gives us uh, a lot to understand in terms of a scenario like that. Um, You know, doing some sort of righteous deed in the name of Christ and then putting it on Facebook or YouTube or maybe even just telling people on Facebook, hey, you know, I I shared the gospel with a bunch of people today. Um, Are you just uh, practicing your righteousness before men and What about the heart? What about motives? Well, let's look at Matthew 6.1. I'm reading from the uh, NAS here. It says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. And if you're familiar with the Sermon on the Mount, you can just kind of skim ahead and you see he gives various uh, examples such as uh, giving to the poor he even gives the example of praying, right? This is a, a, a Jewish culture. So he says, don't just stand in the middle of the synagogue and kind of lift your hands and have everyone notice what, a, what an eloquent person you are as you pray and, and pray about how godly you are. And, and just, it's, it's all about show, right? And that's that famous verse in verse 6 where he says, when you pray, go into your inner room, which would be, a lot of people translate, in modern day as a closet. This could just be like a bedroom. So you're you're familiar with this verse and this passage, but going back to verse one, again, we're in Matthew 6, verse one, you have to notice that their motive is the attention. That is their motive. So it's a little different than what the question is asking um, because there is motivation there. It's a wrong motivation. He's clearly addressing the legalistic and hypocritical Jewish leaders. And so quite simply, motives always matter. God looks at the heart. Motives always matter. I mean, the reality, although harder and and not to the context and point of this passage, even when you do things in private and don't tell anyone before the Lord, your motives matter, right? If if you're legalistic, trying to earn salvation, that's a bad motive, right? If you're trying to earn forgiveness because you feel bad, so you pray more in secret, in private, that's a bad motivation, right? So motives always matter. And this word actually that you see that uh, it says to be noticed by them or to be seen by them, I believe in, in the ESV and NIV. There's a lot of different Greek words, Uh, I shouldn't say a lot, there's like three or four Greek words that are translated notice or noticed in our English New Testaments. The one here that Paul uses is different than what's commonly used, and it's actually the same Greek word from which we get the English word theater. So that kind of tells you that even their motivation was to have theater, it was to be seen, it was to have an audience, and so uh, yes, uh, motives always matter um, in whatever we do. Uh, I would say on the flip side, right, if we're the kind of person who's wondering this, right, you go on YouTube or you go on uh, Facebook or whatever it is. to say that the kids are using these days, but you know, like Instagram, whatever, right? They're, and you see that. I would hope if you're, you're wondering if motives matter in something like that, it's, you're asking that question because you're the one who's posting online. And what I mean is this, when you see something like that, you have no idea what their motives are. And though it may seem because of social media or the public nature of YouTube that their motives are wrong, we can never question those. That's not our place. We can't read the heart. We, we don't know what their motives are. And so this is a kind of question that needs to be asked of our own motives. Um, and so on the flip side of that, I know that's not what's being asked, but we really need to be careful that we're not judging other people. Now, there's some people who clearly are uh, wolves in sheep's clothing and, and their motives are very clear uh, based on what they say and so uh, we don't even need to judge the heart or read the heart because it becomes pretty obvious uh, what their motives are um, because they're, they're pretty much telling us um, on television or wherever they may be. And, and one of the side notes, the dangers of this is if you go too far to the the other extreme, then you could argue that You know, if we're going to judge people's motives or assume the worst, then any public ministry is wrong. Right? So, Winsley should privately record him playing the Cajon, and we never tell anyone who's playing it because his motives may be wrong. I need to stop preaching because my motives may be wrong. Sometimes my motives are wrong. But at what part, you know, at what point do you say, well, you know, we can't do anything publicly? Because we could be trying to be proud or trying to uh, look holy or righteous like the Pharisees and Sadducees were. And so this is just a really, it's a good question because it warns us that we need to really uh, protect our own hearts and make sure our own motives are right. Uh, Because motives always matter. We just can't assume what others are.
0: Yeah, I agree. I get a lot of people who tell me about joys they've had in doing good things. And they always indicate, I'm not trying to brag, but I want to rejoice with them. And so, you know, that's, uh, that's something to think about.
1: Yeah, and that's, that's part of the church to be able to share those, right? We, you know, we are to weep with those who weep, but we're to rejoice with those who rejoice as well. And how can we do that? We tend to, we tend to hear about when people are mourning, right, because you, you, you hear that someone has passed away. You know, people pray about being sick. You're invited to a funeral or something like that. Um, but I think, you know, we, we, we get timid about sharing our joys because we don't want to look pharisaical. But that's okay. If, if your motive is right, you need to share with us. And, you know, forget about the people who are judgmental. That's between them and the Lord. Let's, let's share our joys and rejoice with one another.
0: Um, the next question is very appropriate, I think, for uh, Memorial Day. You shall not murder or kill in earlier translations. In the Ten Commandments, in Exodus 20, verse 13, how is war not murdering or killing? I understand that premeditation is involved in murder, but uh, that also exists in war planning. Countries, not individuals, plan war, but individuals carry out the orders. Does that make it not sin? Wars are not always for a righteous cause. What scripture clarifies this? Yeah, so... um
1: this is a question that uh, was asked before a few years ago, and I think it's, it's worth answering again. Obviously, we know that murder is wrong. It's sinful. Uh, Jesus clarifies in that same Sermon on the Mount that we just looked at uh, in Matthew 5-7 through 7, that even anger towards another individual is the same as murder. Uh, so he even heightens or deepens the sin. Again, the talk about motives, right? The hard attitude. Um, I actually looked up and... Uh, I want to read for you verbatim the definition of murder because we know that's unjust and unlawful. And Chris, your your DA, tell me if this sounds right. Um, it is the crime of unlawfully killing a person, especially with a malicious premeditation. And then there was a legal definition: the killing of a human being by a sane person with intent. Malice aforethought, prior intention to kill the particular victim or anyone who gets in the way, and with no legal excuse or authority.
0: Yeah, that's correct. That's correct for first-degree murder.
1: Okay. So, I think that with no legal excuse or authority. um, Something we need to remember is that uh, a good portion, percentage of the Old Testament is war. And it's war that is commanded by God. And in fact, uh, as we've seen in uh, 1 Corinthians and are seeing, one of the reasons God punishes Israel is because they didn't uh, end the war in terms of killing everyone. They left some alive or they didn't uh, burn all the spoils of war. They kept some of it. They intermarried. Uh, God even uh, tells them to kill the children, right? He's like, I want... In, in some cases, I want this, these people to be wiped out. And so we know that's not unholy because it's what God has commanded. It's what God desires. And so we clearly see that uh, war can be, uh, be a good thing in that sense. Um, when we jump to the church age, uh, we need to refer to uh, Romans chapter 13, uh, which tells us that we are to be under the authority of basically the government and it goes on to say that the government is in place so that those who are criminals are afraid, and we get that. We, we want criminals to be afraid to commit crimes, right Because when people do commit crimes, it, it, unfortunately it 's happening more and more, uh, especially in san Francisco, right and it 's not just like in the tenderloin or downtown as having lunch with a friend of our, a friend of our churches who lives in the Richmond district. I said, do you see this? He's like, oh, absolutely. He's like, there's more crime and they're more brazen. They're breaking in the cars in the middle of the day, parked right in front of houses, knowing that people are working from home. And that word brazen, right? We, we use that word like, oh, it's so brazen because he didn't do it in the middle of the night. He did it in front of people, in front of even police officers. And what we mean is, shouldn't there be, a, they have no fear. How can they have no fear? Right? And so that, that is lessening with the increasing depravity of man. But the reality is the government, whether you agree with a certain political system or not, or political party or not, is put there for our protection, right? Don't you get a little sweaty? You look at your speedometer for the first time in your 20-minute drive when you see a CHP officer behind you, right? Because you're afraid. You're afraid to be caught doing something wrong. But that passage, Romans 13, goes on to say that God has placed the government as a sword. What is a sword? This is not like the sword on your mantle over your fireplace that's just a piece of decoration. A sword is an instrument of death. The sword is an instrument of war. And when it comes to governments, why are they in place? Not just to stop the, the petty thief or the the murderer in our society, but to protect its people from other warring or perhaps evil nations and governments. And so there are wars that are just. There are wars that are righteous. The government is doing what they are told to do. Now, if a soldier in war kills somebody, uh, are they sinning? Um, not in obedience to their governing authority, which the uh, which the which the Lord has put in place. Could they sin? Sure. If they're angry, if they're looking out for ve- they want vengeance because that you know that country did something or one of their buddies was killed in the trenches. That that's different. Uh, but in and of itself, uh, we cannot just say well, war is murder and war is wrong, especially when we look at. Uh, the wars in the Bible, and we look at uh, the, the function of the government. Now, the reality is war exists because of sin, right? Uh, if there's not going to be any war in eternity, in paradise, because we're all going to get along. There's no pride. There's no anger. There's no desire for vengeance. There's no jealousy. There's no, my race is better than your race, so let's wipe out that race. There's going to be none of that, right? That's all sin. And so we understand on a bigger level, war exists uh, because of sin. And that's just something to remind us of, uh, just the state of affairs, even the things that God has to help us with and and, and handle. Um, It's I mean, there's so much that he's doing because sin exists uh, in this world. And so, it's unfortunate. Now, again, with that in mind, are there evil dictators? Are there evil regimes? Uh, Absolutely. Right? You know, you guys know that I lived in a country that was completely ravaged uh, for 40 years uh, by what historians have called the worst reign of of communism ever known to man. I mean, it's horrible what this man did. And, you know, years later, we're still seeing the effects of, you know, you look at the streets, you look at the infrastructure, you look at the fear, you look at the uh, the inability to trust anyone in authority, uh, even two, three generations down the line, it's, it's bad. Um, but at the same time, that
0: also explains why we need war sometimes. Thanks, Roger. Uh, Number five, how would you share the gospel and make a case for Christ to those who have lost a loved one, especially if that loved one gave no evidence of believing in Christ? After the loss of a child or other family member, we might want to share our source of help with this grieving person. At the same time, it's not very encouraging if they conclude that their loved one is not in heaven. This barrier to the gospel might apply even years after the loss.
1: Yeah, I think that last statement is very telling and helps us understand what we are to do. Even years after the loss, which we understand is, is very true, um, we, uh, we want to be a compassionate people, right? So you know, someone is grieving, a good friend of yours, a family member, and they're grieving because someone who just passed away was not a believer. As a Christian, uh, we know where that person's soul is now, and we uh, we want to share the gospel with the surviving family members the spouse, the parent we, you've heard it said before that uh, funerals or times of grieving are ideal times to be sharing the gospel because people are t- thinking about eternity people are thinking uh, about uh, just the frailty of life and so I really think it's a case-by-case basis. Uh, I can't really give you a checklist of what to say, um, but you do need to do it. Um, because what good is our love and our compassion if we're not conveying the most important thing? Very, We know that that's not love for a Christian, to not want someone to align their lives with the Lord, whether it's confronting a believer in sin or sharing the gospel with an unbeliever. And so we do so very graciously. We don't make apologies. Uh, we don't need to be uh, rude about it. We don't need to say like, hey, you know, you don't want to go where he's going or, you know, something. I mean, wh- why would you ever say that to anyone, uh, right? Right. Um, So, uh, you know, we need to do so compassionately and graciously, but we need to always remember that being compassionate and gracious does not mean not sharing the gospel because they might put two and two together and realize someone they love uh, is is in hell. That's the opposite of being gracious and compassionate, okay? We're going to see... Uh, if not next week in the following week in First Corinthians, um, that really the gospel and the believer needs to take precedence over people 's feelings, and when we start caving into people 's feelings and i'm not i 'm not saying be rude, you can be again, you can be nice about it and not water it down, uh, but just remember not sharing the gospel with an unbeliever is basically saying that you're more comfortable with them going to eternal damnation and you're just going to leave it at that rather than offend someone, hurt someone's feelings, risk your job, fear of man, whatever it may be. Okay, and so um, there's probably no other time where it's more tempting to water down the gospel, um, but we just can't do it. Uh, We need to share the gospel and we need to share the gospel clearly. And again, you don't know, right? I'm not, don't give false hope, but you don't know if that person uh, accepted Christ uh, at the very last minute and you don't know where they are right now, right? I mean, I I don't, you don't say that to lie to them or manipulate them, but you just don't know. And, you you know, so I'll give you one practical thing. If If they realize that and they say, well, then where is my, my, my son right now, and you just repeat what you've already said. So, well, if they gave their life to Christ, which they may have, um, they're in heaven, that's all you have to say, right? And then you bring it back to them because that's what you're uh, concerned about, okay? Uh, And it does happen, and this this actually, I think, is someone asked something uh, that's related to this, but uh, if you don't mind me saying, your father-in-law. You know, one of his dying breaths turned to the Lord uh, after a lifetime of the Lord blessing people through his church ministry, but never really a believer and accepted the Lord in his last few days, right? Um,
0: Yeah, I mean, just to underscore Pastor Roger's point, there's no other time like either, you know, at the end of your life or, when people feel like they don't have control of something, it's, it's the best and most opportune time to bring up God. So many times I hear, you know, I'm, I'm working with someone, eh, it's not really the right time to talk about God, or their neighbor, I'm not talking. Well, death, thinking around death, life, it's the perfect time for God, and most people are fairly somewhat receptive to it, and so I think it's a very appropriate time to do it, and uh, my wife was able to do that uh, and share it boldly.
1: Yeah, agreed.
0: Number six, we've been looking at gray areas in 1 Corinthians. Do the principles we've learned about gray areas and issues such as biblical love have any bearing on wearing masks and getting the COVID vaccine?
1: Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Absolutely. Um, We just saw this, for those of you who may have joined us just today or in the past few weeks, where Paul says for the sake of evangelism, he's willing to be all things to all people, Obviously, that doesn't mean sinning, uh, that doesn't mean uh, doing things like he also says, you know, don't dine in an idol's temple, uh, things like that. Uh, but I think the reality is, is when we look at things like the discomfort of wearing masks or even uh, whatever we think may happen negatively if we get the vaccine, um, The reality is, I believe that the majority of those of us in this church have done much worse for the sake of the gospel. It's just in the news and it's politicized, and so we're hesitant uh, to do those things, right? I mean, if you think about why people are not getting the vaccine, and again, for me, the, the question asked this, so I'm just using this as an example, this could be anything, There's never like, I'm not getting the vaccine because for the sake of my family, because for the sake of evangelism. It's always like, I'm not putting that in my body, or I don't want to do that. I don't think, I'm scared, you know. Um, And even as believers, when we, or even not as, you know, even just from a, a scientific point of view, when we encourage people to get the vaccine and we can tell they don't want to do it, we always end with, but you need to do what's right for you. But 1 Corinthians and the entirety of New Testament tells us, no, we need to do what's right for other people. And so I think, uh, you know, this, this definitely, uh, you, you need to gauge this with, between you and the Lord, but I think that's definitely something um, that uh, we should be willing to do if it gives us opportunity for the gospel. Now, I don't know if it would, Um, I think we're coming to a time uh, just socially where they're going to say, okay, you can start not wearing masks anywhere uh, unless you have the vaccine. And we know people who don't want the vaccine are just going to stop wearing masks. But as believers, we need to submit and we can't lie. So if you haven't got the vaccine, you need to wear that mask because that's the law. Um, And so maybe that's something, you know, maybe you'll see uh, things like that. Um, and so it's it 's definitely something to consider to think about, right We need to be good stewards, but when when we 're just saying, you know I was even talking to someone recently, and they 're saying oh i 'm willing to do anything, but not the vaccine and i just I have a hard time not believing because it 's been so politicized right i mean you you 've done other you 've done hurt your i mean not in a sinful way, but you 've done things would have resulted in physical damage to your body for the sake of the gospel, right? I'm not trying to lift myself and my wife on some sort of pedestal, but if you knew the kind of things orally that my wife and I ate and put in our bodies, things that were dirty, things that probably could have killed us because we were living in a developing country, but to not offend our unbelieving hosts, man, at least for us, another shot in the arm, not, I mean, that's nothing. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's for the sake of the gospel, right? I, I mean, there's, I mean, most people would say, yeah, you know, if God called me to go to uh, a jihadist Muslim country to share the gospel where I could just get shot five minutes, yeah, man, for the Lord, but you won't take a vaccine, right? I'll get beheaded for the Lord, well, oh, but not the vaccine. So I, I just, you know, we, we really need to think biblically and think rationally about what we're we're doing here. And on the flip side, most of us probably got the vaccine for selfish reasons as well. So, you know, we just need to really focus and, and try to get to a place where we're willing to do things uh, for the sake of the gospel, uh, for other people. You know, I think back to <clears throat> um, Shana. Uh, it took me a while to remember her name this past week. Uh, I remember that... You know, when I was in college and seminary, I would go to where I end up living, Albania. I lived short-term teams, and this is a culture, like many cultures, not so much in our culture—it's family of family—but in that culture, uh, if you don't eat everything that's placed before you, it's it's very offensive to the host. Like very—it's off- one of the most offensive things you can do. And obviously, there's a lot of f- lot of food that is good, but there's a lot of food that's that's gross. And you just, like one missionary said, just got to bless it and eat it. Just eat it, right? Just don't be rude because they're all living in Albanians' homes. Um, this is kind of gross, but, you know, one, uh, two people on one of the teams, they, joked, they didn't say it in front of their host, but with the team, they, they joked about poop soup because that's what it smelled like and that's what it tasted like. But they drank it because, for the sake of the gospel, right? And then there's this one girl, Shayna. And she said, do they eat meat? I'm like, it's, it's primarily, I mean, that's a, it's a big meat and potatoes, simple dishes like that. Um, and this girl had spent probably a decade as a vegetarian for the sake of her body to become a professional dancer. And she came up to me during one of the team meetings and said, be so happy, so be so proud of me, Roger. I started slowly eating meat to prepare for, to not offend people in Albania. That's the kind of thing uh, we need to do for the sake of the gospel. Um, my wife and I recently uh, wanted to have a, a play date with some friends who weren't vaccinated and they're like, we, we've done the research, and it just seems like it's very new, it's very dangerous. Uh, and she actually ended up just saying to my wife, like, if you want them to come over and you're more comfortable with it, I'll get the vaccine for your sake. And we're not, it's not even for the gospel, it's just, just for fellowship. And so um, I just give you those two examples as people who are willing uh, to do things, you know, just for, for ministry's sake. And I think that's the mindset we all need
0: to have Yeah, a great example of selflessness, especially when there's so much selfishness these days. Number seven, if I don't feel like that I'm motivated to do X, Y, or Z by a deep love for God and to glorify Him, how might I cultivate that motivation so it's genuine?
1: This is a a struggle for all of us at times, isn't it? Uh, To say that, you know, I want to read my Bible every day because I'm just motivated by this intense love for God and desire to glorify Him. And, you know, sometimes we just, I don't want to do it. Uh, I, that's probably one of the most common questions I get, usually specifically in regards to reading the Bible, right? I have no desire to read my Bible. How do I get that desire to read my Bible? Um, I think they're already on the right track because they know that they should be wanting to read their Bible. Um, you know, for that's sp- and that's not what the question asking specifically, but I think for that question, for reading the Bible, the answer is you read your Bible, right? Because as you read the Bible, and if you're not just trying to get through it and you're not focusing just to get your daily Bible reading checked off or whatever it is, if you're really thinking about it, then you're going to start thinking and realizing, wow, my sin is actually pretty bad. And God is pretty amazing. And what he did for the world, whoa, wait, no, what he did for me. It's kind of like uh, how many of you, I mean, don't raise your hands, but uh, how many of you like went on a date with the person who is now your spouse? And you're like, ah, oh, so awkward, whatever. And then, you know, your parents or your friends are like, just give her another chance, give him another chance, and now you're married, right, because you, you got to know them right and it's 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 like the bible it's like you're just reading it yeah he died for my sins i get it but when you stop and really take the time to meditate on it like what that means and i think that's one of the dangers of the of being so familiar with the gospel we forget we forget what how brutal you know that that self sacrifice was for our sin to show us how gross sin is right we're forgiven and we 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 uh, confess and ask for forgiveness or repent of sin almost on a daily basis. And so we forget how how grievous it is to the heart of God, how nasty, how disgusting it is. And so, you know, the depth of, of, of what Christ has done and the gospel sometimes gets lost on us. And so, you know, I, I feel for those people who don't have that, but I say, you know, read your Bible, secondly, pray, right? It's kind of like we're, you know, God isn't like, an individual where you're kind of like, ah, I don't really like this person, but I can't tell them. Tell God. Say, because God knows already. God, you know that I don't have this desire to be with you right now. I don't have the desire to pray. I don't want to be at church. I don't feel like they're my people. Help me. Ask God for help with that. There's no one who wants to help you more with that than God. And I know sometimes you feel like, how can I tell God that? He knows already. Ask him for his help. Um, and thirdly, I would say, um, and so read your Bible, pray. And thirdly, uh, we just need to be less focused on ourselves. A lot of times this is focus on self. And the more we focus on what feels good and what our felt needs are, the less we are going to be willing to do something for others, uh, namely, and most importantly, God. And so we really need to uh, do a deep cleanse of our hearts to really recognize our, where are we being selfish? What, what is it? Because that's going to be your biggest. It's not Satan, you know, it's not the world, it's you. What is it in your heart and your desires that ke- is keeping you from having this desire uh, for the Lord? Now, sin and the world is going to feed into that but it's ultimately you. And when I say deep clean, I don't mean just clean. You ever done a deep clean of your fridge or of your house or something? You're deep cleaning and then you realize there's stuff there that needs to be cleaned that you didn't even see before, right? And so when we do a deep clean and we really take time to meditate, you know, go, stop hanging out with the guys and the girls or whatever or, you know, take a night just by yourself. Um, I know pastors who do this once a year they'll take a weekend they say honey kids it's my weekend and they'll just get a hotel room and they'll just pray and they'll read the Bible it's their time to kind of do a deep clean and refresh and I think this you know if you need to do that get away turn off the radio you know turn off uh, your phone leave your phone at home or at least turn off the internet and just have your Bible and pray and think and do a deep clean and, and uh, you know that's a good start
0: unless it's Kfax.
1: Yeah, yeah,
0: no. <laughs> no, uh, I think R- Pastor Roger brings up a great point on that. When you're talking about salvation, the beautiful thing about all the psalms that you see is it just expounds on how you can actually pray. Like when you're praying about God's goodness, you see how they just it, it prays about righteousness, it prays about justice, it prays and, and it's a constant repetition about the very ca- uh, the characteristics of God and it's just such a great example, but a great way f- for us to model. Uh, which is why we also I'm, well, I pick a lot of the Psalms as well, and I know Kyle does as well. Uh, number eight, uh, is gambling wrong?
1: Um, next question. No, I'm just <laughs> kidding. Uh, gambling is not forbidden in the Scripture. It is not sin. It is not wrong, but there can be a multitude, multitude of sins that are connected with it, namely, of course, is the love of money, right? So I would say, uh, you know, I know people who gamble, I know Christians who gamble, and I would ask, what, are, what is your reasoning? What is your motivation? Um, well, first of all, let me say that if it's illegal gambling, then yes, it's wrong because it's illegal, right? So if you're gambling where it, you know, with a bookie where it's illegal or backroom poker game or whatever, um, that's wrong. But if you're talking about a legal casino or something like that, um, I would ask, why are you doing it? Uh, If you're saying, like, I just, I really hope I make it big so I don't have to work anymore, uh, the chances are it's the love of money. Um, 1 Timothy 6.10 is the verse that says uh, the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. Not the root of all evil. Root of all sorts of evil. Uh, You you know, again, you have Sermon on the Mount. You can't serve two masters, both uh, God and riches. Right, because you'll love one and despise the other, or despise one and serve the other, right? And so, if you're if you're doing it uh, just to get rich or or out of a love of money or out of a uh, you know greed, uh, then yeah, it's it's wrong because you're probably loving money. Um, What's the other option then? I know some people uh, who tell me, and again, I can't judge their motives, uh, so you know I'm going to assume what they're saying is true. They see it more as entertainment. So uh, you you would pay, f- what is it, 15 bucks for a movie ticket, 50 bucks? I don't know. It's, it's crazy now. Um, you know, 15 bucks for a movie ticket and $400 for a, a thing of popcorn um, these days. And they're saying, no, I'd rather just take those that $30 and put it all on black or whatever. So if they just see it as a source of entertainment, probably not still not the best, but, you know, they're not doing it because, like, oh, look at the jackpot now. I c- you know, I'm, I'm never going to have to... Uh, have to uh, work again, right? And so the same thing would be uh, going for people who want to uh, win the, uh, what is it called, the, 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 the mega millions or something, um, that kind of thing. You just really want to uh, look at your heart and see what your motivation is.
0: Number nine, is there a difference in salvation or experiencing eternity for those who accept his calling for the majority of their earthly life Versus those who continually reject but accept just before they die.
1: Absolutely not. That's the whole point of the parable in Matthew 20, the parable of the workers in the field. Remember, there were guys who worked all day, and there were guys who just worked like an hour or two. And uh, they got paid first, and they got paid the full day's wage. And so the guys at the end said, oh, now he's changing it, so we're going to get a lot more. And they got mad. And They said, "This guy only—you just got them. You just brought them into the field, and we've been working all day. How do we get all get paid the same?" And he said, "You don't—basically paraphrase—you don't question me. Is it not my right to pay people what I want to pay them?" Um, and so it, it's going to be the same. So the thief on the cross is currently enjoying all the blessings of uh, of uh, of heaven that that Peter is, right? Obviously, Peter was promised something different. So uh, you know that aside. Uh, I would say there's one difference in in that the Bible does talk about uh, ministry and doing things with the right heart, uh, amassing reward in heaven. We're not very clear how that plays out. It's definitely not going to be like on earth where there's the rich and then there's the poor where you can brag about it. You know, there's indication where all those riches are laid at the feet of Jesus Christ and His throne anyways. And so, you know, in terms of what they're experiencing, no, there's no degrees of heaven, there's no lesser heaven Uh, praise God, we all get to enjoy the same thing. And of course, heaven is just temporary. Uh, It's eternity on the new earth is where we'll be.
0: Yeah. um, But Pastor Roger is not, you know, I know some people use this as a thought that, why don't I just engage in worldly conduct until the end of my life? And at that point, I'll just believe. And that is absolutely not what the you know, this passage or anything that grace would definitely uh, endorse. You never know when you're going to die. You don't know when the end of your time is. Uh, and it's almost as the phrase, picking up pennies in front of a freight train, um, you know, you don't, you don't play with that type of fire. And so please don't use that as an excuse. And we wouldn't want you to use that as an excuse to engage in worldly conduct, hoping at the end, at that last moment, you can sh- just turn to God, turn to Christ.
1: Yeah, and I would say that's a good one. Picking up pennies. Of, did you come up with that?
0: Yeah, I heard it somewhere. <laughs> oh,
1: yeah. That's good. Um, you know, Roman, Romans, 1, Romans 1 talks about that, right? It's where people kept rejecting, rejecting, and basically God says, I gave them what they wanted. I gave them over to their sin because that's what they wanted, because they, you know, they exchanged, you know, the, the things of the world that created, or they exchanged the creator for the creation, right? And so it's a very dangerous thing. Um, if you're in a position where you say, I'm just going to enjoy the world and accept Christ at the end and get to heaven, um, that's, you're playing a very dangerous game. Because as you know, which is why you would think this in the first place, the things of the world are very alluring, they're very tempting, mm-hmm. um, right? And then you alf- also hear too, like, uh, who, who's, how do you know you're going to be 95 years old, you know, with moments to spare on your deathbed? and i get hit by a train right as, you know, hit by a car right out here, right? I mean, um, and it, it really misses the point of Christianity too, right? It's not just to avoid hell. It's to have the privilege of being an ambassador of Christ when there are still people to be an ambassador to. right? There's no unbelievers in heaven. So what a joy it is to, to be able to live in this life Uh, doing that for the Lord in the midst of a dark and depraved world, so.
0: I think we have time for one more. Recently, a well-known Christian leader was shown to engage in gross immorality. What is the proper Christian response to that situation? Are his writings and teachings still valid and useful, or are they to be avoided? Yeah, you know, the first thing I would say is we need to
1: avoid malicious gossip, um, now, something that's public record and in the news to repeat facts that are clearly in the news—that's that's not gossip per se, because everyone knows this. I, you know, I say that because I think in our day and age of uh, social media and things like that, we think it's okay to engage in gossip, right, uh, about Joe Biden or Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton or or uh, uh, Mike Pence or whoever we we dislike. Right and malicious gossip, right, is is specifically forbidden in the scriptures. Where we're gossiping about things that may be true, but purposely to make them look bad. Right. We we don't need to talk about it. Right. I don't I don't care that this famous Christian singer had an affair. Right. Yeah, I've heard about it. I don't need that in my mind. I don't need those kinds of thoughts. Uh, you, you know. You know, sometimes as Christians, we love bringing up negative news, especially when it's about other Christians. I don't need to know that. That affects my walk. That affects how I think. I don't want to know that, right? It's not something I can forget. You don't. it's just gross. I don't, I don't need to hear that. Uh, but when it's something that's public, um, you know, how do we handle that? You know, it's first we always look to ourselves. It's a good reminder. Right. If if someone who is uh, surrounded by godly men and women can still fall into this sin, we need to be careful. We need to be reminded of our own lives of the deceptiveness of sin, where if we really want it, we can get it, and that's very scary. Right? Uh, you think there's no way you can uh, you can g- get around your wife and kids? Well, people have done it, and people have gone or gotten around uh, godly elder boards, you know, staff, seminary staff that are in their lives. I mean, we just need to be, be very careful. Um, you know, if it's someone who has books or sermons, does that all automatically uh, disqualify their books and sermons? Um, no, not if they're biblical, right? God can still use them if they're biblical. Now, I understand uh, if some people just can't do that, it's like, this person had an affair, it reminds me of my husband's affair, I cannot touch that person's books. But if that, those books or whatever are biblical, um, so it's understandable if some people have, want to have nothing to do with it, I get it. But it doesn't negate truth, right? One man's sin doesn't negate biblical truth. Um, and so those can still be helpful. I mean, we, we are helped by uh, people who are unbelievers, Right? I, I know people who got saved uh, under the ministries of unbelievers who later said, you know what, I, I actually don't believe anything that I, I told you I believe as a pastor and rejected Christ, which means they were never a believer. But did God still use them? Sure. I know that scenario is a little different than what's being asked here. Uh, but yeah, you can, you can still, you know, it's not somehow tarnished, right? So I think sometimes as Christians we, we think that there's um, some sort of I don't know. It's like, oh, that vile person touched this, so I can't use that Bible or something like that, right? It doesn't transfer. And again, in 1 Corinthians, we're going to see that, right? To give you a little preview, Paul says, but if you're asked to eat at an unbeliever's house and knowing that, I mean, he doesn't say this, but cultural context, that there's a good chance that that meat that they're serving was sacrificed to a a, a, a pagan god, what do you do? Do you eat it or not? He says, don't ask any questions. Don't ask, oh, where'd you get this? Was this from a temple? Just eat it, right? Um, because it's not it's not tarnished because of that, right? It's still, he goes and quotes a psalm. It's still from the Lord, right? And we can definitely use that of biblical sermons and, and YouTube videos
0: and books and, and things like that. Um, and so... Um, hope that helps. Thank you. As always, Pastor Roger, thank you for answering those questions and taking the time to study them and uh, providing thorough answers. And thank you all for continuing to ask those questions. It's good to see what's on your heart and your concerns. And we continue to encourage you to submit those questions for our next fifth Sunday. Let, yeah. me, cl- Let me, I, d-
1: I do want to say that um, firstly, you know, we, if you're visiting with us this morning, this is not normal. I'm not usually like, sitting Right, we just trying to make it a little more casual for Q and A. Q&A. By the way, do we look comfortable? Because we're not. This is not. But this. Uh, well, yes. Let me tell you about Jesus Christ and His sacrifice. Hold on. Uh, it just doesn't. But um, yeah. yeah. Burns have some essential oils going through. Um, but you know, one of the reasons I do want to prepare a biblical answer, which is why I ask you to. Uh, submit them ahead of time, and, and I don't want anyone to take this personally, but part of the reason also is so we can I can kind of filter which questions to answer. They're all really good, uh, but sometimes they're just so deeply theological that I, I don't want to just spend five minutes on it. Uh, sometimes they're very personal, uh, where I'm not going to answer that publicly, and I'm, that's why I really prefer if you put your name on there um, where I would rather follow up with you and say, hey, listen, I think we need to talk about some of these issues uh, because it's, it's, it's something clearly that's uh, that's um, going on. Some of them, frankly, are big enough theological issues that you could uh, just look it up and you would recognize the names of the people explaining that. Um, you know, if you're just trying to get my opinion, I don't, I don't think that's, that's worth answering because clearly you can... You know, you could easily find a book or something that, you know, Sprawl or MacArthur or someone uh, has written that gives a a more thorough answer in that or just even look at your, you know, MacArthur Study Bible or something like that. And then a lot of times I don't answer them if I've answered them again recently. And I I realize, you know, we go a few months between and sometimes you've visited since I've answered, but it just, um, it's not something I can do. And and just time. So I try to do a good balance of theological, but also ones that will be practical and, and, and hopefully help all of you in, in some situations.
0: But keep sending them in. They're all great. Let me close us in prayer. Father God, we give you thanks for uh, curiosity. We give you thanks for wonderment, and we pray, Lord, that you continue to allow us to be curious, to dig deep, to wonder, to be excited about the questions that we ask about your word. We give you thanks, Lord, that there is clarity in that, that we have a teacher and or teacher and teachers to be able to help us clarify what your word says. And I pray, Lord, that as we dig deeper, that we just uh, ultimately grow more engrossed and more amazed about how awesome you are and how you've thought about and orchestrated every aspect of our lives, whether that be personally, um, professionally, uh, even how you've uh, since the beginning of time orchestrated uh, just the entire storyline of salvation and how you've sent your son. We pray, Lord, that we continue to be curious, we continue to be amazed by who you are, and continue to ask great questions so that we may be encouraged and spur on one another. In Jesus' name, amen.